first, I'll start by saying what a positive self-image is. Our self-image is really a mental construct. That means that it's a series of thoughts and perceptions that we have about ourselves. And these thoughts and perceptions impact how we view not only ourselves but our capabilities and the possibility of succeeding in life. So if we don't have a positive self-image, it interferes with the likelihood of us even trying uh, to achieve because we already feel that we will likely fail. Welcome to Kidding Around. I'm your host, Dr. Candace. I'm a pediatrician, wife, and mom, joined by pediatric experts to discuss your kid health concerns. Let's jump right in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Kidding Around. I'm Dr. Candice, and thank you so much for listening. Today, we are going to talk about how to nourish these five selfies, and we're going to talk about what that is, to help kids build a positive self-image, okay? This is a good, good, good topic. Can't wait to get in it. This is so foundational in in the lives of our children. So I want you to know a couple of things. This starts early and it continues throughout the life of your child. So everything you hear, this is an ongoing all the time thing, not just one conversation or one time. And also you have to be age appropriate. And we're going to go more into that later as well. Frederick Douglass said, and I know you guys are tired of hearing me say this because I say it everywhere I go, everywhere I speak, several times on the podcast. It is easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And so this is the theme or the main idea of what we're talking about today, building strong children, right? So we don't have to worry about the long-term negative effects of not doing that. So today we're getting into the basics and my guest is going to give you resources at the end so you can dig deeper because obviously we can't cover everything in in 30 minutes, right? All right. So first we are going to talk about what these selfies that I'm calling selfies are, and then we're going to go in to specific developmental phases from toddler to adolescence and give you some tips and pearls specific to those age ranges on how you can build these skills, okay? So just to let you know how we're going to flow with this. But I want to first welcome my phenomenal guest, Dr. Lauren Josephs, PhD and licensed mental health counselor. She is a researcher and a behavioral scientist who started her career as a licensed mental health counselor. She is currently the vice president of Visionary Vanguard Group Incorporated, a consulting firm focused on research, evaluation, and training. The reason why I invited her on today is because I absolutely love her. We we work together in many areas in this community. And because of her love and passion for being a mentor, she has mentored over 600 girls between the ages of 12 and 17. She focuses on helping them to improve their emotional health, eliminate the mental barriers to success, and recognize their infinite potential. I love this woman, Dr. Lauren Josephs. Please help me welcome her. Thank you for coming to Kid Around with me. It's my pleasure to be here. We've been talking about this for a while. (laughs) Yes, finally making it happen. (laughs) So let's jump right in. Why is having a positive self-image 
Mm-hmm. So important. And what happens if you don't get that, if your child doesn't get that? Right. It's critically important. And first, I'll start by saying what a positive self-image is. Our self-image is really a mental construct. That means that it's a series of thoughts and perceptions that we have about ourselves. And these thoughts and perceptions impact how we view not only ourselves but our capabilities and the possibility of succeeding in life. So if we don't have a positive self-image, it interferes with the likelihood of us even trying uh, to achieve because we already feel that we will likely fail. So it's the root of whether we are successful or not. It's the bottom line. And it's connected to all the other selfies that you will talk about today. Okay. And so I can imagine if a child is not reared up with gaining this positive self-image, as you said, you may not try. You don't have hope. You don't maybe achieve your full potential, like you said, and it, it, it creates a barrier to everything in your life. Exactly. And the thing is, you know, when we think about the impact of our self-image on, say, our self-esteem, it's Our self-esteem is about whether or not we feel that we are good enough, right? That's the question that we end up having in our mind. Am I good enough? Am I good enough? And when we feel that we are not good enough, we feel that we are not worthy of good friendships. We feel that we are not worthy of true connections in life. We feel that we are not worthy of others' time. And sometimes the ways that we respond to that end up harming us in, in many ways. That's right. So that's one of the selfies. I call these selfies. I know people, you know, take selfies all the time, right? We're not talking about that. (laughs) But in so many ways, I named these selfies and someone else may have coined this term. I don't know, but I think I came up with it for myself. And I actually write about it in my discipline book that's coming out soon. And I have a whole chapter on selfies because they're so important. And they're all, first, I want to say they're all interconnected. So we're going to separate them out and talk about them like they're separate, but they're all interconnected and they're all happening at the same time. And, but we're going to break them down to just give you some basic understanding of what each of them are so that we know we are purposefully and intentionally instilling them in our children. Okay. Just right. to be clear. All right. So you already went into the first one, self-esteem. And I always mm-hmm. say, uh, when I work with young girls, I have this one sheeter and it has a heart on it. And it says two things. I like myself. I love myself. And at the bottom, I can do it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, Like you said, I think self-esteem is I like myself. I love myself. I am worthy. Those types of things. So you just explained kind of what that is. But what are some how does that show up in life? Like, what are some of the things we can do to build self-esteem in our children? Yeah. You know, I think we do a much better job and do it more naturally when we are working with babies versus when our children start to grow. Because what happens when a baby or a toddler tries, we reinforce that effort, right? When a baby is learning to walk, we applaud the effort. And when they fall, you know, we know that that's not the end of it, right? But as children start to grow, what we, what we tend to do is to uh, praise the result. And so when a child gets an A, for instance, when they're in their school years, they get an A, we, we praise the A, oh, my, my daughter is an A student, or my son is an A student. 
And what happens with that is that it creates fear that what will happen if I don't get an A, because they feel that the love that they're getting is because of the result. So sometimes it's really important to return to the ways of the support that we provided to the babies, right? And to acknowledge the effort much more than the the end result. So I really love how you've been working hard at, at, at school. You know, you've been reading a lot more each day. So focus on the, the effort because the kids know that they can put forth effort. What they worry about is whether or not the effort would lead to that end result that's often praised. I love that. Focus on their effort. Notice their effort. Praise their effort and not so much just the results. Yeah. You know what? what? I had a conversation with a young lady a while back and she was so worried that there might be a time when she would get a B. She couldn't even celebrate the accomplishments that she was having because she was just waiting for the end of the reign, so to speak. And parents don't recognize that. So we have to be mindful of how we provide support and ensure that we're not giving a message that it's only because you received this particular grade or done this particular thing that makes you special. Right, right. One other thing that's been coming up a lot, it's always come up, it's not new, but as we see, you know, civil unrest and we have uh, yet another uh, racial awakening that's going yeah. on. Today, I have my faux locks and I was sharing with you and I was <laughs> like, you know, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with it when I go on media, right? When I go on the TV and you said, just show up in all of your fullness, all of yeah. your glory. And yeah. I said, yes. <laughs> right? Because. Yeah. This is me. Take me for who I am. My culture. I'm African-American woman. I'm a physician. I'm so many things. And if I choose to put braids or locks in my hair, I should be able to show up with that. Right. Right. Not a problem. And so why is that so important for young children? I have this conversation so many times with parents where they're African-American children or even children with curly hair, different types of hair that's not, you know, that mainstream picture of what beauty is supposed to be, right? And they're saying, you know, I'm she's struggling because when she's at school, maybe she's the only black kid, right? And her hair is African-American hair, right? Which is buried. We're not, all of our hair is not the same, but her hair may be in braids or her curl textures are tight and Mm -hmm. the kids commenting or wanting to touch. And then Mm -hmm. other kids with straight blonde hair, if you will, are getting complimented that their hair is beautiful Mm -hmm. and she feels that her hair is not. And then she's telling me, I want my hair straight. Right. Right. All these things are going on with kids and we're just talking about hair. I get it. But in so many ways, it infuses into everything like skin color and it infuses into your self-esteem. And so how do we have those conversations? I have two friends that are dealing with this right now. So speak to my two friends and other parents. How do we handle that situation with our kids and still leave them with a positive self-image as far as their esteem? Right. Making their hair and skin. Yes. And what the best practice is, is to start before it becomes a concern. 
we cannot be reactive and expect that at the point of the issue that our words are going to be as impactful, right? Because our children in large part know that we want them to feel good in the vast majority of, of family systems. So it's important to start to have these conversations about cultural identity and pride in self and, you know, that the, the standards of beauty that are generally viewed as the norm is just one version of beauty. And it's not it. It's not it for it's it's not the only type of beauty, because when we fail to to do that, we leave our children unprepared and ill-equipped. It's like a vaccine, right? We have to implement preventative measures. So when we, we ensure that we show our children, children who are African-American or other children of color, that there are people who look like them, who have been able to achieve in life and show examples where the seeming impossible has occurred, it makes it more likely that a seed will be planted. We have to plant these seeds well in advance of the school years. And so, you know, you mentioned doing it in an age appropriate way, and it might be with what type of dolls do you introduce your, your daughter to if she's, if she's a, a child that loves dolls? You know, are there dolls that are introduced that look like her or look like her family uh, does. So we can start planting those seeds very early on because it's really hard to intervene when the stripping of the self-esteem has already started to occur. There are other reasons why that's important too, because there's been brain scans. Now there's a lot of neuroscience research that's looking at self-esteem and how that's manifesting and the impact of that on, on our children. And so what fortifying our children with these messages of, of positivity and the, this recognition of that they are from long lines of people of worth and talent and skills and ability, what that does is to give them the strength in those times where they are wounded emotionally. Because self-esteem doesn't prevent the injury, the emotional injury from happening. What the brain scans have clearly shown, though, is that they are much less likely to feel extended pain from these attacks that they might have in life. They're more likely to bounce back more quickly. You know, the research also talks about releasing less cortisol in our bloodstream. So a lot of times we think about self-image and these selfies, as you call them, as just superficial um, fluff, but they really have an impact, not just on our mental selves, but on our physical selves as well. So we definitely have to start much earlier than we think, right? The babies are recognizing when their needs are being met. And that is the start of this, the self-esteem building process. That is so powerful what you just said. I just love, love, love it. It's protective. It's buffering. It's building resilience. Mm -hmm. And, yes. and so, yes, start early. You know, when we think they're too young for this, go ahead and start. You know, you're yeah. planting the seeds early to reap this reward later. So let's talk about self-confidence. I feel like everything you're going to, I mean, this is just giving me goosebumps. So 
I say, you know, I can do it. My daughter has a wonderful book and it's like, I can do it too. And it's a little brown girl with her brown family and just everyday things like combing her hair, dressing herself, making a cup of milk. She's telling her grandma, her uncle, her auntie, there's family there, right? That I can do it too. Yeah. My daughter loves that book. So how do we infuse this self-confidence into our kids? Yeah. You know, self-confidence is is really important. And what we know from the research is that until the age of 12, there's virtually no difference in boys and girls in terms of self-esteem. But then there is a steep drop-off between the ages of 12 and 14 for girls in terms of their self-confidence. And what, what they found is that 18 to 45%, the drop in self-esteem in girls, between that 12-year-old period and the 14-year-old period. So what is going on in that time frame, right? We see that girls are now more astute and recognizing the differences in the ways that they are treated in society. And they start to question whether or not certain things are truly possible for them. So there are some things that we can do, though, to ensure that as you mentioned before, fortify them to build in some protective factors. Giving each child time with you to be supportive, to build that relationship. All of these selfies have one thing in common, Dr. Candice, and it's the quality of our relationships that we have with the children is predictive of the level of self-esteem, self-confidence, self-worth, self-love that they will have. So it's about building um, relationships with, with our children where they feel that they can ask questions. It's about ensuring that they are aware that you too have struggled with certain things in life because sometimes we don't, we're not vulnerable enough to self-disclose appropriately to our children, that we just didn't wake up as an adult with knowing everything and having all the answers, that we have failed and that we have worked to develop strategies to improve over time and to give them permission and to to make them aware that that is okay. Because for those children who know that if they fail, that's not the end, it's not lethal, they'll try again, right? And it's the, in the trying that builds the self-confidence because once you recognize that, you know, I can give it another shot and then you start, they start to identify what it is that their interests are and they start to work more fully in the areas of their interests. Then all of those are things that boost the self-esteem. Oh, that self-confidence, right? Amazing. And I self-confidence, think- Self-confidence, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think, like you said, that relationship, that connection- is the foundation of of this confidence. And I think about unconditional love. And within that relationship, you know, knowing your child's love language, if you will, and feeding that and giving them unconditional love. Like you said, if you fail or you didn't get that A or that B, I still love you. That may have not been what we wanted, but you tried. I'm here for you. I love you no matter what. Even when you make a bad choice, you are not bad you just made a bad choice. Right. Right. And I still love you. And that's what they need to know with confidence that you in in that regard. So I think that gives them the the strength to try to keep trying. Right. 
And one of the things that we can do across the lifespan is to help our kids set uh, realistic goals for themselves. Because sometimes what is crushing self-confidence is because we are introducing our, our children to tasks for which they're not yet ready for a variety of reasons. So if we, we ensure that whatever we have our children working on, that they are within their range of abilities at that particular point in time, doesn't mean it's set. It means right now, this is where we are. And to, to, to help them to work within that space, then that builds self-confidence because the successes in that realm helps them to feel like, wow, I can do this. And it builds upon it. It's iterative, right? If I can do it in this arena, maybe I can do it in another arena as well. That's right. You set them up for success. So self-regulation, that's a big one because you can be super smart. You can have all these wonderful, you know, characteristics about yourself, but emotionally, if you're not regulated, if you're not emotionally kind of in control or able to control your emotions, you know, we say emotional regulation, that skill to be able to do that for yourself is even more important than academics right? Yes. That really predicts your success. Like you can be super smart, but if you are on the job or at school or in different places and you can't control yourself emotionally, you're not going to get very far. So Mm-mm. helping our kids, we know there's a period in infants and toddlers are falling out, they're crying, they're having tantrums. <laughs> oh my God. You know, some people are like, oh, he's going to be a serial killer. No, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> We're predicting all this badness because we lack that knowledge of development, but what you do in those moments can make them worse or make them better. Right. And so let's talk about, and I always say in my selfie chapters, like it starts with the parents first, right? Yes. Let's talk about (laughs) terms that we hear nowadays, social, emotional learning. How do we teach our children? How do they learn to be socially, emotionally regulated? How do we emotion coach, if you will, you know, uh, a term from Gottman Institute and in ourselves build emotional intelligence, right? Yeah. Whatever, however you want to talk about that, but it's also, you know, and and you said, you said a thing in passing down. Dr. Candice, that that is is really important. It's not the topic of today's conversation, but sometimes it's the parents who need to do the work to get to the point where they are prepared to help the children to navigate some of these challenges. But in terms of self-regulation, a lot of people talk about um, being able to regulate emotions effectively, but we don't have conversations about recognizing emotions Sometimes our our children, depending on how old they are, can't give a voice to what they're feeling. So how can we do a better job of helping them to identify and give a name to what it is that they're experiencing? The Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence, they um, have done some research in this area and they have what is called RULER, the uh, mnemonic or acronym, if you will. And so the the RULER means recognizing emotions, right, in ourselves and others. We have to be able to recognize what it is, how it's impacting us, how um, it's impacting somebody else before we can get to the point of, of regulation. We have to understand the reasons why we're feeling this way, you know, and the causes of it. We have to be able to label it. You know, what is the name of this thing that I'm feeling? And 
be able to express it appropriately because there's nothing wrong with um, inherently with any emotion, not with anger, not with sadness, not with any emotion. But how are we able to express it in a way that our needs, what, what our desires are in that moment can be heard? And then the R is regulating the emotions effectively. But we won't be able to regulate the emotions until we can recognize, understand, label, and express them fully. And it is our jobs as parents or those who are supporting the, you know, as a part of the community, the village, so to speak, to help our youngsters to be able to identify. As a therapist in early um, in my, my career, I used to have a feelings chart. Because sometimes even with people in middle school and high school, they couldn't identify. These students couldn't identify how they were feeling. But with a chart, they could look at it and say, okay, here it is. Because when you can give a name to what it is that you're feeling, then you can work through the process of self-regulation. That's amazing. Yes, that's it. That's it. Take those steps and work on that and dig deeper. And we're going to give you some resources. That's amazing. So let's talk about self-discipline. And you said that this wasn't the topic of our conversation, but you're it is. Because everything <laughs> we're talking about, a child can't do on their own. The yeah. parent has to teach it. That's what discipline is. Teach. Yeah. You have to teach all of these things. And in order to teach it, you have to be able to do it for yourself first. Yes. And so you're right. This is very much the topic of our conversation and on point to, to mention parents. Absolutely. So let's talk about self-discipline. Again, parents have to model self-discipline before their yeah. children can have it for themselves. And they have to provide appropriate discipline before their children can then do it for themselves. Right? Right. And so their stages. Let's talk about that a little bit. With self-discipline, I always find it interesting when that we don't realize that our children are learning more from observation than these little one-off conversations that we have, right? So our, let our lives and the way we navigate it be a lesson for our children because this notion of do as I say and not as I do, it just absolutely doesn't work. So, you know, self-discipline is the recognition of the boundaries within which we should, we should seek to operate, right? There's a time and a place for everything. So when we're in school, we can't be playing video games <laughs> as much as we, we, we want to. We have to follow. There's rules that we have to attend to. But one of the things that we can do to support our children is to hold them accountable, when there are rules that are established, and these rules need to be clear, not arbitrary. They need to be clear to us. They need to be made clear to the children. The consequences that are age appropriate need to be made clear. And once they are, then we lead our children to operate within that framework. One of the things that I know for sure is that sometimes we have this expectation that children will just read our minds or know or say things like, you know, well, when I was a kid, I just knew that I couldn't do X, Y, and Z. No, we, we model self-discipline by being clear in our expectations and by following the rules that we set for our children as well. That's right. Absolutely. And I think another part of self-discipline is all of what you said, but also sometimes giving them choices within that framework. Yes. Having choices strengthens your ability to make good choices and be self-disciplined in the future, 
right? Absolutely. So if I just set framework and these are the consequences, if you don't do it and then you get that, but you had no part in that, then later in life, you're paralyzed because you were always told what to do. So we do have to give our children reasonable choices within the limitations that we have set so that they can learn how to do it for themselves. Absolutely. And that goes for all the different selfies, you know? And so think about how when children are just learning to dress themselves and they pick out an outfit and the outfit doesn't go together, but because we want them to have some self-autonomy, we allow them to wear that outfit and how bold and and free they feel, you know, uh, going out into society, into what they, that boosts them in many ways is to know that they are independent, feeling, thinking beings, and that their choices matter. So absolutely helping them to identify their own selections and choose is also important. That's right. And the last one, we talk about a lot more so in adults, but it's important that we model it for our kids and maybe even start practicing it with them too, is self-care. So let's, let's hit that one. You know what, Dr. Candace, there's a whole (laughs) segment that could just be done on this because I have strong thoughts and feelings about how I see the framing of self-care as one-off activities, right? Mm -hmm. So you'll see somebody and they'll post, oh, you know, I haven't had a massage in 10 years, uh, hashtag self-care, right? So what that leads us to think is that self-care is an activity that's done sporadically and only when we have a chance to do it. But what is important to us to develop in this area is to recognize that self-care is not just about the physical one-off activities. It's about developing our emotional health as well. It's about developing our phys- our spiritual selves, our connection to a being or if that's higher than us. You know, I believe in uh, in God. So whatever that looks like for for the parents to help to foster that, because self care is an ongoing process that we should be mindful of on a day to day basis. And so one of the ways that I like to think about helping children practice self care is to support them in not participating and saying no when they don't want to be involved in in an activity right? To know when they need to remove themselves from a space because they are too stimulating or whatever, they're tired or so on and so forth. So at the youngest ages, sometimes we want to force the children to go, so-and-so just came by, and but they're tired. What we're teaching them is that other people's interests are more important than their own. And that is the opposite of self-care. So that's where I would start is ensuring that this is a process that we look at across our whole selves and that it's something that we touch on on a daily basis, not once a year or on Sundays, you know, self-care Sundays, hashtag. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) I um, totally agree with that. And so let's move on to, and you've hit on some of this. So this, this, we're wrapping up pretty quickly here, but if you have any specific pearls for age groups that people can practice, take this into mm-hmm. daily practice. Let's yeah. learn some of those. What specific things for infants and toddlers to start to build selfie skills did you have for us today? Yeah, you know, just Dr. Candice, it's about creating a supportive environment where there's consistency. 
so that the babies and toddlers will know what to expect. Because in having an environment that's safe and in knowing what to expect, then their brain won't be focused on all these other things, trying to figure out, am I going to eat? Am I going to go to bed at this time? You know, all these things that can interfere with healthy growth and, and development. And then in school age and middle high schoolers. Let me say one thing there. We call that in pediatrics, safe, stable, nurturing environment. Okay. We know that that is it. That, that's almost the ticket. That's the protective factor. That's the buffering and the resilience piece. Safe, stable, nurturing environment. We go S-S-N-E, okay. <laughs> right? I love that, but you said it. I just like to use these coin terms. That's how my mm-hmm. brain works, right? <laughs> yeah. And another thing that I see in pediatric practice is a lot of negative talk. And we have to flip that to positive talk. So in especially in late infancy, toddlers, parents are a lot of stop, don't. You know, it's a lot of negative, negative contractions, <laughs> a lot of negative, right? Focusing on what they're doing wrong. And then you just yeah. let them be the rest of the time. And so I'm always saying, let's be positive. With my son, who's 12, for years now, we've been saying positive apples, positive apples, because we tend to kind of default. Yeah. Some of us tend to kind of default, I know I do, to a more pessimist time frame. The glass is half empty, right? And so I go, can I have some positive apples, please? Let's frame that in a positive light. And then I make him re-say it. But mm-hmm. even in toddlers, we can start to tell them what to do, catch them being good, and use positive words when we talk to them. So that when I see them, they're not just saying, stop, don't. They're saying giving instructions and directions in a po- I can tell when a parent's positive and when they're doing more things in that negative mindset, yeah. That yeah. having a more growth mindset, positive apples, positive talk, I think is so key very early. What do you think? Yeah. I totally agree. And the same principles can be applied in an age appropriate fashion as the children grow. So the types of things that we're communicating will shift and the amount of information that we give to them because they can handle more will be different. But it's the same thing that you just said that that would be appropriate moving forward as well. Yeah, because your teenager, you go positive apples, they're gonna go, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> my friends, I'm embarrassed. But you can take positive apples from toddler, uh, early childhood <laughs> to yeah. like my son's 12. He's starting to say now like, okay, let's find mm-hmm. another word for positive apples. But you can change it to something else, yeah. like, you know. Yeah. But you know, words or something, you know, you can come up with something else, but it's the same principle, like you said. Here's the thing, Dr. Candice, what the research shows is that when we are young, babies and toddlers, the self-esteem is higher, it drops during adolescence, and then it, it uh, resurges, it, it, you know, it improves again um, in adulthood. But what they find is that if we have a high self-esteem early, we'll have a high self-esteem later, even in the face of the drop. So that positive apples early on, you know, even though they might not want to hear it when they're in middle and high school, it's built the framework and it's created a set point, if you will, that they will rebound to after they go through the struggles that is adolescent. So, you know, it's to start early. I can't say that enough because we're we're building a framework to help them to 
get to where they need to be later on in life, even in the face of, of the challenges that they will undoubtedly experience. And that is so hopeful because so many parents right now at their child's particular age, they may can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Just what you said is so hopeful. If you've planted those seeds, this drop, this what you're struggling with right now, maybe just normal part of their developmental phase. Hold on. Know there's hope. Know there's light at the end of the tunnel. You've done the right thing. Right. It yes. come around. It's going to be OK. So I hope we just you just gave some people some hope right now, as long as they're doing <laughs> yes. the work. Right. As long as they're doing yep. the work and not late, not reactive. Get it in early to my new parents and parents with younger kids. Get it in early and you will reap yeah. the, the, that that sweet fruit yeah. at the end. Right. Yeah. And for those parents who didn't have that when they were growing up and are working to get to that space. Now, our brain is malleable. We can learn at, at any age. It's just best to start early. You can do it. That's right. Now, any pearls, I, th- I cut you off. Any pearls for early childhood, middle childhood? And this is just because they're different that you found that works for them. Yeah. You know, what I found, you talked about the early childhood. What I found is that there are differences in how we can respond to boys and girls when we're trying to help develop these healthy relationships. What the research um, has shown is, is very interesting in that we need to be able to build a positive relationship with our girls before they will engage in any type of activity. Like if you want to invite them to go somewhere like to the mall or whatever you want to do with them as parents, there needs to be the framework of that conversational type of relationship. But with boys, what the research shows is that there needs to be that foundation of the activities in the relationship. So playing a game and having a conversation is much more effective than just trying to have a conversation about whatever one of these selfies. So you use the avenues that work for the type of child that you have, but that's what's generally shown in the research. Girls like the the relationship aspects, the conversations that you develop over time, and then you can get into the deeper, more difficult type of of stuff. But with with boys, work through it through a game, a basketball game, whatever it is that they like to do, an activity, and then use that activity as a conduit to get to what it is that you want to talk about. Oh, I love that. And what about adolescence? And and that that's you know, work in adolescence, but do you have any particular pearls for adolescence? For for adolescence, the thing is to recognize that they're going through a difficult period and not to empty praises, so to speak. They're at an age now when they recognize the truth. So if they're struggling, don't say, "Oh, you know, this is not a big deal." It's okay. No, acknowledge where they are and what they're experiencing and trust them enough to know that they know if something is not well with themselves. And so, and then re- use that as a, a means of having those important conversations. Because sometimes we try to placate the kids. Oh, you know, they're there. It's, it's fine. But when they know that it's not fine, what happens is that they turn those negative feelings oftentimes inwards and it becomes a problem. It impacts their self-esteem, their self-image, their self-confidence in negative ways. And we know that low self-esteem is predictor and a result of depression. So those things come into play. So so just to be mindful, respect that they know how they're feeling and don't minimize it. 
by saying it's going to be okay. No, delve a little bit more deeply, ask some questions and don't be afraid of what's going on. That's right. No gaslighting because they know. <laughs> yes. Yes. And adolescents often, I hear them often saying that, and sometimes I even hear my son say this and I go, Oh, I don't want to be that parent. You don't listen. Yes. You're not listening to me. So that's a part of that. If you just think you have figured out and you're kind of gaslighting them and saying, Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Or when I had to go through that, you know, going through so much and they have nothing to worry about. They don't have any stress. They don't have any strength. What are you talking about? That is not good. That does not help at all. I I, I don't know why we think that's helpful, but it's not helpful. And please don't do that. Yeah. First, I want you to tell us about your platform and then give us whatever resources you have for parents to dig deeper. Yes, your audience can follow me if interested at Dr. Loren Josephs on the social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and so on and so forth. But some resources for parents who might want to learn more. One, one really good one is called kidshealth.org. It's by Nemours. So the information, Nemours Children's Hospital. And so the information that's placed there is vetted and reviewed by physicians and mental health practitioners. So that's one really good one. And the reason I like it is because they have it broken down into the different developmental stages from babies and through teen years. The Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence.org. So it's Y-C-E-I.org. Is, has some really good uh, resources and also the Collaborative for Academic Social and Emotional Learning, which is uh, www.casel.org, casel.org. They have a lot of information. And one that, one more as well, understood.org, because we didn't touch on it today, but there are, with self-regulation, for instance, with children who have disabilities or who may be on the autism spectrum and there are certain challenges that are related to that, understood.org works um, to provide resources for families who have children with disabilities and the resources are, are excellent. They have some growth mindset charts and worksheets and all of that stuff so that I think your, your parents could benefit from. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Josephs, for coming to kid around with me for all of this wonderful information. Any last words? No, it's a it's a pleasure. I just love your work. I follow you on the, the social networks, and I think that your voice is really necessary in this day and age, and also not only because of what you're doing for children and the families in the community, but also because you shine a light on the importance of recognition of equity and social justice and all of those other things which are are important to the families we serve. So thank you. Well, thank you too. Uh, Nothing but love here. And thank you guys for listening and we'll talk soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please stop what you're doing and subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. And follow me on social media at Dr. Candice MD. For more information about me and for more kid health information, go to my website, drcandicemd.com. Thanks for listening.